What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We've turned up almost nothing so far about an illegal Epstein-like enterprise. But we were getting an inside look into something else. A modern billionaire's idea of what it means to be good. See a friend in need and help them out. Jump out of a rescue helicopter. Help a bunch of women start their new businesses or go back to school or buy a house. If there's a negative in that, I, I still struggle to find it. And then something we haven't talked about yet. While we were still knocking on doors of the women Mike had given these gifts to, we were learning about yet another way the billionaire was deploying his goodness helping fight evil all over the world, injecting himself into American foreign policy, what he called the global-scale Batman shit. A few months into our reporting, I interviewed a woman who had firsthand intel about this phenomenon. Many of them adopt this he-man master of the universe. Mary Beth Long. Mm, I'm going to go out and hunt, or I'm going to go, you know, whatever it is. And Former CIA operative, former confidant to Matt. I thought Matt was an asshole, actually. Uber. A little bit too much for my taste. Mary Beth joined the CIA soon after college, at a time when they didn't easily make women field officers. But she wasn't having it. I have more languages than they have. Mm-hmm. I have better languages than they have. I've actually lived abroad in freaking China and Taiwan. and They buckled. She went out into the field and did a whole bunch of stuff she won't tell us about. I gotta tell you, literally, I was usually the first one to say, I can't believe they're paying me for this shit. It was mm-hmm. so much fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We loved it. Eventually, she became an assistant secretary of defense in the Bush administration, started her own private intelligence and defense company, sold planes to the UAE, and made a lot of money. Which meant that Mary Beth got to know plenty of billionaires who liked to hang out with spies. She was a keen observer of the specific slice of males in the species. You know, I have this theory about masters of the universe. What's your theory? They've conquered everything. They've conquered tech. They've conquered women. They've conquered, they've lived in amazing houses. They've conquered the world. There's one thing they don't have, and that's the he-man of the universe masculinity thing. So they buy generals. They buy generals. It's a thing. You've seen it before? Oh, yeah. I could name you hundreds. Hundreds. It's buy yourself a 
A guy that on the golf course you can say, well, I was talking to General such and such the other day. (laughs) Oh, come on. It's true. It's true. It's the revenge of the nerds in some respects finally getting to be the guy or be close to the guy who's the... I cannot tell you what a relief it was to run into this woman because all these things that seemed singular and amazing to me, like a billionaire and an ex-spy get together and decide they're the ones fit to remake American foreign policy, she'd be like, oh yeah, Hannah, that happens all the time. Hannah, I'm telling you, it's true. It's all testosterone. (laughs) It's all, you know... It's all about size of your freaking penis. And if you can't do it, you hang out with military guys so you at least... So now I had a whole new insight into our billionaire nerd, Mike, and how he came to spend a long evening with ex-spy Matt at the Spearmint Rhino Strip Club. I said, gosh, I guess I know a, a real superhero. You know, it was that, that person, you know, that Jason Bourne-type person. Um, and seemed, you know, passionate as well about writing wrongs and, you know, good versus evil and that kind of thing. Mike made him an offer. Come to Whitefish and we'll start this company together. Matt says he told Mike there were just a few things he needed. A place to live, a couple of cars, two weeks vacation, and for his wife? I don't know, maybe she'll want a set of replacement boobs. I said it more as like a joke, thinking, ha, 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 it would get a laugh. And he's like, done. Sure, whatever you need, whatever will make your your home life happy. Together, Matt and Mike would set out to create a private company to carry out worldwide intelligence missions for the U.S. government. It was all so much fun for the both of them. Global-scale Batman shit come to life until it went spectacularly, fantastically wrong. We've told you why the ex-spy turned against the billionaire. This episode, why the billionaire turned against the ex-spy. He said to be, you ever come after me, it's going to be mutual assured destruction. He had a very inflated sense of grandiosity. He had a reference in some email that we have to end this clash of the titans. They did go after each other, in the courts, in the press, and Matt, not Mike, ended up under investigation by the FBI. But each of them made sure to tell us that the other one was a total liar. So obviously, we had to figure out what was what which meant digging into their business affairs, which meant an education into a truly bonkers, private, for-hire world of spies. From New York Magazine, this is Cover Story, Season 2, Seed Money. There are parts of this story that differ a lot, depending on who tells it. But parts of it match up, like the origin of this spy company Matt and Mike decided to set up. They called it Amentor, named for an ancient Greek mythological figure. Amentor meaning defender. Even before Amentor was official, Matt was already texting Mike about foreign missions they could get started on right away. It was all, as Mike would say, you know, secret squirrel stuff. Secret squirrel stuff. They used a lot of code words. Like when Matt was talking about the CIA, he'd say Red Cross instead. He says, I have kind of an off-the-wall question for you. Bear with this odd question, says a text from Matt, spring of 2013. But it directly relates to the good guy stuff we've talked about. Are you interested in supporting a way-off-the-books op for the Red Cross? Y-E-S. Yes, says Mike. Matt, 
shit will be a bit hairy, and I'm going to lead the assault team, as long as you're okay with that. There will be some funding involved, and I can give you details in person, but I feel very confident you're going to be interested. Mike told us he'd learned from Matt that a lot of potentially great CIA operations would get stalled by bureaucracy or funding cuts. That these rescues wouldn't happen, or that these missions wouldn't happen. They were missing a key piece, which was the outside group or the outside funding that would sort of solve the whole puzzle. That first way-off-the-books Red Cross mission, Mike said, involved a major drug cartel in Mexico. And when Matt got back from his trip, his stories about it were so harrowing that Mike gave the guys involved a bonus. Um, It's literally just to sort of help do uh, a good thing. The idea of Matt and Mike's company was, quote, Blackwater done right. Blackwater, the company that hired mostly ex-soldiers and turned them into a private contract army. Like Amantor, Blackwater was originally supposed to cut through red tape and get shit done. So one of the first people Matt hired to help build Amantor was a guy who'd worked for Blackwater and had watched it fail. And it was just a goddamn nightmare. Frank Gallagher. Frank did personal security for Henry Kissinger, among other people. He's a member of an elite special ops group called Reconnaissance Marines. And he 100% could get behind Matt and Mike's better Blackwater thing. Because Frank was one of Blackwater's first handful of guys in Iraq, in charge of keeping the top American official there alive. But then it doubles and triples, and pretty soon it's hundreds of guys who got the jobs with little confirmation that they knew anything about anything. They had lied about their background. He couldn't do the job they were assigned. He did not have the intestinal fortitude, the strength, the stamina. There'd be a rocket attack. They wake up in the morning like, I can't work here. You know, they're shooting rockets at us. I said, dude, you're in a war zone. What did you think this was going to be? Blackwater was infamously thrown out of Iraq after its employees killed 17 Iraqi civilians. And Frank had no patience for the bullshit he'd heard from his colleagues there. Hey, uh, Frank, man, uh, not for nothing, but, uh, you know, we're working like 20-hour days, and, you know, some days we don't get to eat. I'm like, yeah, so we should just put the reconstruction of Iraq on hold while you get fatter. So that's basically, in a nutshell, Frank's summary of the rise of Blackwater. Correct. Frank has this mischievous, grandpa's gonna let you ride in the front seat vibe. He's a medical condition that makes his voice sound like that, but he definitely doesn't want your pity. He's an ex-Marine with notebooks full of war stories. Like the story of when he first met Matt in Iraq. He needed to borrow a helicopter off the books. And I go up to the Blackwater office, and somebody says, hey, one of your recon brothers is in here. And it... I said, well, who is he? Because it was Matt Marshall. I said, all right, cool. So I shake hands with him. Well, he gave me the look over. I gave him the look over. And, I just, and then Frank asks, could I use the helicopters? Could I use the helicopters? It's like, go fuck yourself. Fucking dick. The next time Frank and Matt met up was as instructors at a Blackwater training facility in North Carolina. It went more swimmingly this time. He was a great pistol instructor. Fast, accurate, He was good. Really good. Frank later worked for the State Department and hired Matt to be part of his team. They became colleagues and then besties and ended up traveling the world together. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner together for eight years. Mm -hmm. Talked about everything. Sports, women, alcohol, fighting. And the better Blackwater thing. (laughs) We were going to get rid of all the bullshitters and do it right. Frank still has the email Matt sent him when he offered him the Amantor job. Two things I need from you, and don't roll your eyes or drop the F-bomb. 
stop smoking, whatever. Bust your ass in the gym to include getting your ass some cardiovascular training, even though you think it is gay. I still think it's gay. It goes on. This is our big break, Frank, and we have to capitalize on this because it won't come around like this again. Love, Matt. Thoughts. <laughs> Back in Whitefish, Mike Ogan was psyched to see that Matt was really in people like Frank, recon marine types. And he was raring to spend his money on some heroic acts. Like, for example... He read an article in the World News section, one about the Boko Haram kidnappings, when the Islamic terrorist group took nearly 300 teenage girls from school. And he thought, maybe we could help. Hey, buddy, he texted Matt, it might be a fantasy, but this is the kind of situation I would love Amentor to be able to fix in the future, irrespective of whether we had a client paying us to do it or not. Talk about global-scale Batman shit. I will always gladly pay to have the tables turned on these kind of 7th century scummy fuckers, and it doesn't get much better than rescuing kids in the process. Matt, we could take action on this stuff. It's become an epidemic with child abduction slash murder slash forced prostitution. The downside now is that there's no funding to support the operations because no government has taken a hardline stance on it. This kind of tragedy needs a Batman. Mike. Well, then we've just agreed this kind of shit is going to be a core part of our mission because nothing would feel better and I couldn't think of a more worthwhile thing to spend my money on. Watch out, evil fuckers. Wink emoji. That was the big dream, the view from high up in the mountains. Down on the ground, though, where Frank Gallagher sat day to day, things looked a little different. Matt was never around. He was always with Mike. Frank would try and get into the details. Are we doing security training? Should I find us a training facility? What countries are we looking at? And Matt would always say the same thing. Sit tight, buddy. Sit tight. Matt fell into the security guy's nightmare of mission creep. Frank, you understand, I'm Gogan's right-hand man now. I'm taking care of this business and that business. And he made me the president of this and I'm the CEO of that and the kids. I got to take it. And it's like, Matt, that's not security related. What the fuck? Maybe it was better that Frank didn't know what was really going on. Better he didn't know that Matt was distracted by much more than Mike's business and security issues. That he was also busy making grocery runs for Mike's love condos, procuring Viagra, or Superman pills, as they called them, FedExing silky robes. Stuff he was willing to do either because he was so bedazzled by the power Mike was giving him, or because if he didn't do it, he could lose Amantor and betray the people who upped and moved to Whitefish to make it great. Either way, it seemed like Frank wasn't going to make it in Whitefish. Well, I would wake up usually around 8 o'clock, eat breakfast, drink a pot of coffee, go to the office for 45 minutes, go home, eat lunch, take a nap, go to the gym, work out, go home, eat dinner, go out and... Cavort. Mm-hmm. So what did you do at work? Planned my day. I reverted back to what Frank does when he doesn't have anything to do. Which is? Find trouble. What kind of trouble? Oh, any kind. Women trouble, drinking trouble, staying up too late trouble, mm-hmm. not giving a fuck trouble. After roughly a year and a half of trouble, 
And from his view, no real progress towards actual contracts. Frank decides it's best for him to move on. But then Mike was upset, too. The end of that year, December 2015, he had a lot of questions for Matt about what was going on at Amantor. Why hadn't any big contracts materialized? What was Matt not telling him? They sat down together face to face. Outside, the snow raged, but their room was lit by the cozy glow of a fireplace. Actually, I have no idea if it was snowing, and I doubt there was a fireplace. They were at work. Mike says he told Matt he needed 100% honesty and transparency going forward. Although Matt remembered it with a little more bite. More like, I can't trust you 100%. Knowing Matt, he heard that, nodded briskly, shook Mike's hand, and left in his truck. And then it began. His tortured thoughts, his tossing and turning, his creeping suspicion that the bromance had reached its critical moment. And it was time to bear all. Which brings us to 2 a.m. at the computer. Matt. That was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to hear, personally or professionally. This is that you're my best friend email that Matt wrote to Mike, where he talked about losing his best friend in battle, not recovering the body. And then he wrote, I want you to know me just like I want to know you. I know on the surface we have our shit together and perform, but that we also both have demons and things that weigh heavy on us. It was definitely weird to read this letter, because from what Matt had told us, by that cold December night, he would already have been weirded out about Mike's sexual exploits. From what he told us, he would already have been considering outing Mike as this billionaire villain. And yet, what he communicated to Mike in a thousand soul-bearing words was that he was getting a lot out of their relationship. Not just money, not just so-called keys to the castle, but feelings. I promise you, I will not be that guy for you who takes what isn't mine or does anything to betray your friendship or trust. Will I be perfect along the way and not do something moronic at some point? Probably not but it will never be malicious or self-serving or out of greed. Mike remembers Matt's email, too. And he told us he was a little bit taken aback by this outpouring. This is a little weird, but okay, let's get this guy back on track and try to focus on what we said we were going to do. After the break, Matt and Mike stop tinkering in Whitefish and get serious they chased down some important meetings with the Trump administration, which means the billionaire plus the ex-spy inch closer to remastering the universe. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. 
but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. From New York Magazine, this is Cover Story. There are a few things Mike Gogan, in the early years, seemed to admire about Matt. Number one, his arms. Number two, his service to America. And number three, Matt had cachet. Matt was connected to a whole world of hard-bodied spy guys turned startup guys, people with brawn and financial savvy. And in that world there was a singular legend. Dewey Claridge. Dewey Claridge. Dewey Claridge was an old, famous agency guy. Spy master guy. Dewey's a good friend of mine. Dewey's a good friend of everybody. We'll intervene whenever we decide it's in our national security interest to intervene. He was the king, the last icon of the real CIA shit. And if you don't like it, lump it. That's from an interview with Australian journalist John Pilger, where he basically says, America will intervene whenever we want to, pretty much anywhere, even if it gets ugly. Give me the Dewey highlight reel. Ken knew all about him, but like the spicy highlight reel. Okay. He helped overthrow democratically elected governments in Latin America. He became very famous because he lied under oath to Congress during the Iran-Contra hearings. So he's basically a guy who thinks of himself as, like, the rules don't apply to me. Yeah. A 2011 profile of Dewey in the New York Times describes him post-CIA as running a network of spies poolside from his home near San Diego. Well, he really disliked the president of Afghanistan, Karzai, and he was determined to take him down. We don't know if this actually happened or not, but the plan was for him to send operatives to collect beard trimmings from Karzai because they could be used to determine whether he was a drug addict or not. A heroin addict is what Dewey believed. Dewey died in 2016, but I'm telling you about him because he was sort of a godfather of the spy-for-hire world that Amantor was trying to break into. And he's actually the guy who connected Matt with another key hire, John McGuire, the guy from the cabin who keeps a Glock on his bedside table. I got a message from Dewey Claridge. He said, do you remember Matt? And I said, uh, yeah, I, I remember him. He said, he's got a company running up in Montana. He's working with some billionaire. I want you to meet him and talk to him about business. I worked for Dewey for years, and I trust him implicitly. John is another guy in the mold of Dewey, Cold War-era spies. Like John's CIA origin story, 
involves mysterious notices showing up in his mail. Postcards that said, are you a self-motivator? Can you work alone? Are you interested in international travel? A clandestine meeting in a hard-to-find building. This crusty guy with a beard who's missing a finger. So many, many years later, when John moves to Whitefish to become a VP at Amantor, Mike is impressed. Here's another real-deal spy who'd been involved in some legendary operations, and he had contacts all over the government. And John is the one who brings his old CIA colleague, Mary Beth Long, into the Amantor mix. There was this culture of uh, super-secretism. Which at first she finds amusing, but also annoying. This is bullshit ego game playing where everybody has assigned names. I'm Babs, blah, blah. I mean, this is just, I'll be honest with you guys, it's sort of juvenile. And I understand that maybe that's what Matt and Gogan like, but it is counterproductive because I have no clue who I'm talking to half the time. But beyond the macho theater of it, she was impressed. John was having real conversations with real military and government officials hunting down contracts with the Trump administration. If John can deliver these CIA things, I mean, they, they really were something at least the special forces in the military were very interested in, but no one could actually just get her done. Mm-hmm. And if you guys have a way of doing that, I'll facilitate it to the extent I can. John had high-level meetings with Steve Bannon, then chief White House strategist, at the real White House, and with Mike Pompeo, then director of the CIA, who would shortly become Secretary of State. I went to see Pompeo. I gave him the contract proposals. He wrote on the front of the contract, I, I want to do this, have finance run the numbers, get on with it. Amantor was finally poised to do some global-scale Batman shit. And that's exactly when everything started to unravel. Now remember, this is a breakup, And like all breakups, there are two very different accounts of what happened. Matt, of course, says it was Mike's fault. A bombshell here on Sand Hill Road. The icky, yucky woman stuff was leaking into the press. A Sequoia spokesperson saying the firm learned of these disturbing claims on Thursday. Mike Gogan's affair with an exotic dancer named Amber Baptiste. She claims that Gogan sexually abused her. For over 13 years now. In 2016, Amber Baptiste publicly accused Mike of abusing her, quote, sexually, physically, and emotionally. He was supposed to give her four payments of $10 million each. It's a long story, but eventually he sued her back for extortion. Gogan's lawyer tells us a cross-complaint alleging extortion will be filed with the court. Mike ultimately won, but it was a four-year battle, and at the outset just as Amantor was ready to bag these CIA contracts, Mike was not looking to the world like a trustworthy guy. At this point, I know I have to get away from Gogan. The way Matt told the story, a lawyer was telling them, Mike Gogan? He's going to make it impossible for Amantor to get security clearance. And without that clearance, Amantor's government contracts would disappear. In other words, according to Matt, Mike's bad behavior with women was becoming a real problem for the company. Matt says this is how it went down. I was trying to break up and just do it clean. So I actually had him come to the Amantor corporate office. um, And I just told him, like, 
Mike, you know, we hired a firm. There's no way you can get a clearance. And I'm not really proud of this, but I was at a whiteboard, like drawing out the numbers. And he like leans back in his chair and calls me an asshole. Like you're just trying to ditch me. I said, having you as an owner, we will never get any of these contracts. And he piped off like a sigh and he mumbled something under his breath. And I don't know what he mumbled, but I actually threw the red Sharpie. It wasn't a Sharpie. It was a whiteboard marker at him. I was that pissed. It was soon after that that Mike pulled all his funding. And then September 6th, 2018. Please see the attached formal notice of dissolution for Amantor Group, LLC. Period. Mike. Matt had to break the news to John. Mike was dissolving their company. And instead of being an adult, he got mad and got embarrassed and then blew the company up. And he did that just because he... Just spite. Pure, malicious spite. At who? All of us. But it, you didn't do anything. We had $300 million of the contracts and we embarrassed him. So I'll fuck all of you. I'll fuck the company. I'll fuck your lives up. And now Mike's version, where, of course, it's Matt's fault. Mike told us he'd been feeling queasy about Amantor for a while. Matt was always messaging him about contracts almost in the bag. We already have this cooking and already have that cooking and so on. Just have to cross this T or dot that I. Okay, great. You have some business. You have some contracts. And they would never happen. Nothing was materializing. Or he'd be told, sorry, top secret, we can't share the details. Oh, we won this contract, this contract, this contract. Okay, show me some. Oh, can't, secret squirrel stuff. Okay, great. And then, all of a sudden, this article comes out in BuzzFeed. The headline reads, The Trump administration is mulling a pitch for a private rendition and spy network. Someone had leaked Amantor's talks with Pompeo to the press. You know, Trump has some private spy organization that he's talking to, and it's called this company Amantor. I had made it clear I wanted nothing to do with any company that had anything to do with any sort of, you know, political side. Number one. Number two, sounded as shady as hell and sounded exactly like the kind of thing that I said would not pass the person on the street test. You know, would ordinary people think this sounds like a good idea? And it sounded terrible. Um So I flipped out, and that's when I had to sit down with him, you know, quite angry. What are we doing? By this point, Mike had put about $10 million into the company. It had been five years, and he'd seen no return on his investment. In Mike's telling, security clearance was not the issue. No dramatic encounters of any kind and no uh, whiteboard eraser throwing or pen throwing Mm -hmm. ever happened. It was Mike who wanted out of the relationship. I kind of said, all right, I don't know what's going on here. I want to get off this train. And a few weeks later, Mike cuts off payroll. Go find somebody else. I don't want anything to do with this. Okay, let's be honest here. Mike's side, kind of reasonable, maybe even boring. He's a venture capitalist. He's looking over his list of investments. One is a money pit. It's been going on for five years. So he's like, I'm done. It's over. Matt's side, with these teary emails and this scene of, like, flying Sharpies, which are actually dry erase markers and all of this petty drama, 
I don't know. So, and this is why we have to be skeptical of all of our sources. Yeah. Ken and I were starting to really wonder about Matt. Was it possible that the source of our story was telling us a bunch of stories? And let me tell you, I've said this to you before. We're not going to find a lot of angels in this story, okay? The people who worked for Gogan, who were involved with him, were... got greedy. Matt and Mike did not divorce quietly. They did not shake hands and walk away. Instead... They each went back to their bunkers and started lobbing grenades. Liar. Cheater. Human trafficker. Mike went to his local FBI agents, who'd investigated his complaints before, and he told them Matt had defrauded him, that Matt had lied to him, swindled him out of millions, and pretended to be someone he wasn't. Meanwhile, Matt started telling his story about Mike, every slimy, dirty, possibly illegal detail he'd recorded during his five years as Gogan's right-hand man. Without Amantor and without Mike's money, Matt finally had nothing to lose. Although that's not quite how Mary Beth Long saw it when he filled her in. Matt lays out this, not totally surprising, but for me, eye-opening scenario of what he, in fact, had been doing for Mr. Gogan. Which is the woman stuff, mostly? You name it. The woman stuff, the baby mamas, the working with the accounting firm to paper over innumerable things. Mary Beth is a lawyer in addition to a spy. So Matt asked her off-the-books advice on whether any of the stuff he dug up on Mike added up to a crime. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are we having this conversation? Well, we're going to use this to protect Matt because this, this is going to be a messy divorce and we need to know the lay of the land. I said, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Matt is at least um, involved, if not complicit. And everything that he alleges, he alleges because he had a role in it. And this is unbelievably dangerous. But by this point, he was apparently willing to risk his own reputation in order to destroy Mike's. If I can't stop him, I don't think anybody will be able to stop him. So Matt gathers up years' worth of emails, texts, WhatsApp messages, and starts reaching out to local Whitefish PD, the FBI, the IRS. And meanwhile, Mike is still sending the FBI stacks of documents about Matt. The first snow falls in Whitefish. The tourists arrive with their gear, gathered by the fire at the ski chalet. And Mary Beth Long gets a call. Literally, I'm home for Christmas. I get a phone call, and I see it's lawyer man. Matt's lawyer man. What's up? Well, I'm at Matt's house. What's up? Uh, well, uh, the FBI and the da-da-da here, and they're serving subpoenas, and they're armed, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Wait, 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 what? I'm at Matt's house, uh, and the FBI is here, and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, well, calm down. What do you, what, what's going on? Why are you, how can I help? Are you having this phone call with me in front of the FBI? No, 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 I'm over in the kitchen. I said, well, where's your client? Who's with Heather? Where's Maddie? Blah, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll call you back. Okay, I'm stunned. 
It took the FBI a year and a half to build a case against Matt. But they did come back. They showed up at his and Heather's house, put him in handcuffs, and took him away. The day that Matt was arrested was the worst day. There was like, I don't know, 11, 12 FBI agents and, and held him at gunpoint. Matt got out on bail right away. But the crimes he was charged with were serious. Fraud, money laundering, and tax evasion. All stemming from the materials that Mike had handed over to the FBI. But Matt... He, of the vascular arms and the force recon tattoo, he is not going to lie down and get walked all over by a guy with blinding white teeth and a roll of hundreds in his sock. If the government wasn't going to take action against Michael Gogan, Matt was going to do it himself. New at 10 o'clock, shocking allegations in a civil lawsuit filed against a Whitefish billionaire. Whitefish residents were now seeing it on TV. Shocking allegations about an explosive local story. The lawsuit against Michael Gogan goes into explicit details about what the plaintiffs call the Gogan sexual enterprise. Matt and John loudly accused Mike of running an elaborate criminal scheme that Matt calls the Gogan sexual enterprise. And they sue him for $300 million in damages. He's never taken on people, two people like us before. People that didn't scare away and won't quit, and won't give in. If you want to have a war, okay. And here we are 28 months later, and the truth is starting to sleep. It's seeping out everywhere. Because you can only maintain a lie for a short window of time. Over time, it all peels away. Next time on Cover Story, item 374 of Matt's lawsuit against Mike. A mysterious email. Quote, He took away an important part of my identity search as a teenager. I was afraid to come forward with this, but I can't keep quiet. Cover Story is a production of New York Magazine. This season, Seed Money, hosted by me, Hannah Rosen. The story originates with Ken Silverstein, who also reported it. Our senior producers are Marianne McCune and Whitney Jones. Also produced by Noor Bazidi, Kathleen Horan, and Liza Yeager. Sound design and engineering, as well as additional editorial help by Sharif Youssef. Cover stories theme music by Santa Gold. Series music by Devin Clara Fonslow. Fact-checking by Bertina Chang. Special thanks to Legal Minds, Alyssa Cohen, Jillian Robbins, and Samantha Mason. Also thanks to Nicole Hill and Gabby Grossman. If you'd like to get in touch, send us tips or tell us anything, you can send us an email at coverstory at newyorkmag.com. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. 
you can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 